You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is freelance writer Tom Chick. Hello. Uh, if I can get anyone a coffee, let me know, and I will actually include in that coffee some Corabian spice. Because I've found some in my empire, just so people know. <laughs> and freelance writer Rob Zachney. Um, I don't even know what that is in reference to. But oh, a little game called Distant Worlds. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Uh, you're, I, you I am, but I haven't memorized the trade tables. <laughs> well, Caribbean Spice is very rare, uh, and you can play mini games without finding it. And when you do find it, the game lets you know that it's very, very special. Uh, this week we are talking about Distant Worlds. Distant hey, Worlds. Troy, real quick, before we uh, talk about Distant Worlds, yes. can I do something really obnoxious? Too late. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, so what, you, something else that's obnoxious? <laughs> if you say yes, then I can blame you for letting me do it. But in addition to coffee with Caribbean spice, if anybody needs any bags of grain, grilled meat, stones, science projects, conjurations, or gowns, especially gowns because I have a lot of tailors in my little kingdom, uh, friend me in We Rule. Oh, God. On the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm I'm plugging a Farmville clone. How about that? <laughs> Please tell me it's for work. Uh, it was at first, but I, I kind of love the stupid little thing. I mean, I hate it and I love it. It's it's just a really dumb little Farmville clone. I love that, the stupid little thing. Now you know how we feel about you every week. Thank you. Uh, but it, it's one of those things that's perfect for the iPhone because it is just a throwaway little thing where you go in and you plant your strawberries and then you come back. You know, in a couple hours, it's it's like smoke. It's like stepping outside to smoke a cigarette. There's nothing edifying from it. It's just a way to sort of kill little slices of time for no good reason. So, so. it's Harvest Moon for idiots. Well, that's what Farmville is. You realize? Yeah. I mean, it's it's Farmville right. for the iPhone. Uh, so, or in your case, uh, for the just, iPod I, Touch. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or the iPad if you're one of those early adopters. And I, I can't imagine. That we have many of those listening, but if there are any of them out there, oh. add Tom W. Chick to your We Rule friends list. There might be a link to that at the bottom of the podcast. <laughs> Good Lord, I hope not. <laughs> well, let's talk about real games. Yeah, this week we want to talk about the uh, real-time strategy Forex game Distant Worlds, uh, developed by Code Force and published by Matrix Games. It came out late last month. Uh, to some rather good reviews, and I had three people separately contact me on the same day and mention Distant Worlds. Uh, James Allen of uh, the Out of Eight Reviews, my friend Kevin, uh, who works for Muzzy Lane in Boston, and of course Tom uh, sent an email saying, hey, this might be a neat game uh, to talk about. Uh, so we uh, thanks to our friends at Matrix. We got some codes for it. We've been playing it, and it is it's something. <laughs> That's where I'm at. It's something. So where's your something, Rob? Um Well, for me it's it's something I look forward to maybe one day really understanding. Um but the problem is I'm just not sure I feel like getting to know it that well. Um I don't know, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of opaque to me is where I'm at right now. Let's explain some of the conceits of the game first, because uh, Distant Worlds is not your... In many ways, it is a... It's clearly in the uh, lineage of the Master of Orion games. You build ships, you colonize planets, you face other empires, and you kick their asses. But there's some other stuff going on here that really separates it, right, Tom? 
Yes, definitely. Uh, and it's interesting, Troy, your characterization there, I would completely agree with, with one exception. You yeah. said that, you know, you build ships, you colonize planets, you kick some asses, you do research. With the exception that those are all active verbs. If you substitute yeah. in there passive verbs, research is done. Buildings or ships are built. Research right. is done. Exactly. That's well, I, kind I, of the twist here is right. that uh, these things happen. You do not necessarily have to do them. And the approach uh, I've, I've referred to as a spectator spreadsheet, oh. uh, which sounds terrible, but <laughs> I'm sure I, you'll, I'm sure you'll come up with a better term by the end of the show. No, I like I'm sticking with that. I'm sticking with this idea that it's just a it's I've talked before about how Paradox Interactive's games are kind of like surfing data. You know, they give you all these numbers, all this data, and you surf on top of it. This is that to the nth degree. I mean, I can think of no better description for distant worlds than you are surfing data. You're basically watching a spreadsheet. And that might sound tedious, but I, I think they've done a very good job of giving it character and and selling it as gameplay in a way. So I'm sorry, Rob. You started to say something. And I well, no. One, one thing I did want to ask because uh, I haven't I haven't played Majesty, but from everything I've heard about Majesty, this this kind of reminded me of that that sort of game design where you are you are influencing uh, your empire, you're influencing what's happening in the game, but you aren't really actively controlling. I I see a bit of a difference there. So so Majesty yeah. is built around this idea of free will that. These little dudes in Majesty, you can never control them. They will do their own thing, and that's how they're built, and that's how the gameplay is built. The difference in Distant Worlds is that if you want to turn off all of the automation, you can play this as if it were, say, Master of Orion 3. Everything is in your capacity to be personally influenced, to get your fingers in there and actually drive stuff. Um, well, not so everything. Like, well, what can you not turn off? Uh the private ships, oh, the private oh, like freighters, and right. and the and, uh, and the, the research, I believe, is all. Jim, you can rebuild certain types of research centers, but you can't determine specifically the rate at certain things are discovered. You can't focus the same way. You, that's not true. I mean, you can. There is a button okay. to press for each for each region of research if you want okay. to focus on that. But but you're, you're right, Troy, in that it does have this cool conceit of of private enterprise and and public right. enterprise, like the state the yeah. state and private enterprise. But but for the most part, I think what differs it from Majesty, it does have that automated economy running in the background. So so I guess there you're right. You, you never have to do all that stuff. Um, but you can. All this stuff that's automated, you can turn off and directly control. And I think a lot of the gameplay is about watching it happen and at some point turning it off and jumping in to control specific bits as you've sort of figured out how it works. Uh, whereas in Majesty, you can never, ever control those little dudes. Majesty is all about them doing their own thing, the friction between them doing their own thing and what you want to happen. Uh, that friction can be removed in distant worlds, I think. Well, the other big difference is countervailing that in Majesty is if you have a really big priority, you can just put a really big bounty on something. And because your goals are so focused within a certain map or a certain scenario, you can, though you can't control the units, you can direct them in a very specific way. I want to explore this area of the map, so I will put all my bounties over in that area of the map, and eventually it'll get done. Uh, in a 4X game, because so much of this stuff is hands-off, it's a lot harder to focus your energies in one particular area because you're, you do have, uh, because of the whole private enterprise thing, which I think is great, you had have, you know, you're, the corporations out mining 
planets, and you got to protect those guys, or your economy goes in the tank. So that drains off resources. So I've got to set up escort ships up there. So you have this counterbalance because your empire expands almost without you controlling it at times. Responsibilities fall on you in a 4X game and in this one. They really don't in Majesty 2 because it is, it's a more constrained RTS. You have a map to conquer. And yeah, all the little guys have free will. But, you know, you have enough money. They're all mercenaries. Um, and I think that is another difference between them. Well, Majesty, yeah. And, and what that gets at, Troy, is that yeah. Majesty is just a much more simple system. Yeah. Right. This is a hugely complex system. Absolutely. And at so, times, I feel it absolutely falls apart. And we'll get on. We'll get onto a bit of that uh, towards the end. I mean, this is, in many ways, for uh, an independent developer like Code Four. I'm not sure if they've ever done anything else. They're really taking on a pretty big project here. I mean, automation really is their magic bullet. This is what separates this game from other uh, 4X RTS, space RTSs out there. What separates it from AI War? What separates it from uh, Sins of a Solar Empire? It's that you can. They have this automating thing going on. You can choose where you're going to focus and what you're going to cede to the control of the computer. And that's a really big task because virtual viceroys have broken down and broken many games. They've broken some of the Supreme Ruler games. Master of Orion 3 never got it right. And for a developer like Codeforce to come on and say, we're going to do this, it's a pretty big chunk of ambition, I would say. Yeah. So, uh, in, in the Supreme Ruler inter, uh, uh, comparison, Troy, is actually, I'd never thought of that before, but that's very well put. And it's a little scary, too, to think, you know, what? why does this work? That's assuming that you feel it works. Right. And Supreme Ruler didn't work. Uh, do you have any theories there? I think it's because... Um, I really don't. I mean, Supreme Ruler didn't work for a number of reasons. One of them is, ironically, because... You could shut it off all the time. <laughs> you could uh, just turn off your advisors and overrule them, so they became pointless. Uh, so, but in this, you can overrule and you can see. But I think it's because it is more organic, because the expansion, because the, just that tiny little thing of saying, "Well, I'm sorry, you can't control the business people, and they're a big part of your income because you got to tax them." Just leaving that little thing off. First, freeze up the mind. You're more willing to say, okay, since that's out of my control, I'll also let the computer handle research. Because I'm already giving up one thing, I can give up another thing. So there's a psychological thing going on there. Um, and I think that really helps. Saying you can't control everything. You are uh, the master of the empire. You aren't, you know, the, 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 the quartermaster. You're not the steward. And that tiny little division, which is universal across all the empires, no matter what the government is, I think frees the brain up a little bit. It, it makes you more willing to cede control. And I think it's a psychological trick, and I think it works very well. On the AI side, does the AI handle everything perfectly well? No. I mean, I, there are certain t- times that I just want to jump in and say, okay, that's I can't let the AI handle fleet management. So, okay, there's one thing you can't touch, so I'll shut that off, because the AI doesn't do it uh, very well for a number of reasons. But I let it do exploration. Because exploration is something AIs have been doing for a while, and they could do it reasonably well. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Tom, you've played a lot of these virtual Viceroy games, haven't you? I think so, yeah. I mean, if it's a strategy game, I've, I've probably played it, and I, that's what those virtual Viceroy games, that's their, that's what they fall under, I suppose. I, I've never thought of them as that, but yeah, that works. Like, what when you say that, Troy, yeah. there's certainly Master of Ryan 3, uh, I guess, yeah, the Supreme Ruler things. Uh, what other games fall in that category? Rob, can uh, you think of any? Um, 
I really on this scale I really can't because um, I, I I think for for me the the difference I'm seeing is it, it's not like you're just you're having the AI auto manage you know a couple small tasks um, a couple micromanagerial tasks this is a game where like they're taking over huge swaths of control um, and there's very few games that really give the option to take that much out of the player's hands I, I yeah. can't think of many. I mean, generally, the AI basically plays the game for you yeah. <laughs> until you decide you want to take control of some little corner of whatever's going on. Yeah. Generally, well, we see AI management at very small levels. Like uh, in Civilization, uh, the city will focus on production, the city will focus on knowledge, the city will do whatever. Uh, Civ-like games like that. If not Civ, particularly other games uh, have done it. Um, but yeah, at this scale, uh, it's quite impressive. Well, that's I, I think... You know, I'm listening to this talk about this, and, and I still don't think this this game is different enough from you know what, what we usually talk about that I don't think we've really brought across what's different about this game yet, yeah. um, because this is this is a strange this is a strange bird. Um, I mean, for one thing, this is the scale of this game is just terrifying. Honestly, <laughs> you're um, a baby. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I am. You, you didn't start in a gigantic universe, did you? No, I start. Yes, I did, but it was a medium-sized universe. It was a normal-sized universe. That's what the game told me. So I started zooming out from my home system, and zooming out, and zooming out, and zooming out, and found out that, you know, my home system comprised what, like, a thousandth of the map. Um, it's just it's you're dealing you're dealing with numbers of star systems, planets. You're, you're dealing with more assets here um, than pretty much any other game I can think of. It is the, I think, the default size for a, a game. You start in one star system. A star system, it's, it's a star. It's got, you, you know, up to, I don't know, 12, however many more than that, planets. Each planet can have multiple moons. Mm-hmm. So you start in one system with one colony, basically. Yep. Now, the normal-sized map has, I think, 400 star systems, which, you know, you multiply that by the number of planets. And then, of course, there are the moons. Uh, there are nebulas that you can mine for gases. So, yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's, the, the scale is a little daunting. <laughs> I was well, just teasing you, Rob. Yeah, it, it's definitely daunting. And, and the zoom out is kind of scary because, first of all, it doesn't zoom all that well. Uh, I think the focusing is a little bit off. I never felt like I'm really right in the center um, in the zooming. I mean, I, it's so easy to get lost. Well, well a real quick tip, Troy. Uh, yeah. There's a, you choose, there's a setting for the zoom, and I think there's a hotkey to determine it. There's a few buttons on there. Uh, the interface can either zoom to what you have selected or to where your mouse pointer is. Uh, so, for instance, if you okay. want to use a hotkey to jump to an exploration ship, you do that, and you just flick the mouse wheel forward, and you zoom in on the exploration ship no matter where you're looking on the map. Uh, Thank so you. there's some interface gimmicks like that that, that I think... Uh, you, you kind of have to learn before you can be real comfortable getting around. Yeah. But it, for the most part, it does, uh, I think, a pretty good job of managing that daunting yeah. scale. Uh, well, the, all the tabs uh, on the lower left, there's tons of little tabs for managing and searching for units. You can easily click. You want to get to this colony, you want to get to the ship, you can set your missions. Uh, it's not near, I think it's not quite as elegant as the Sins of a Solar Empire uh empire management thing uh, that it has on the left, I think is a pretty good substitute uh, for getting around. It's it's not a hard game to navigate once you figure out how to use all the tabs and all the hotkeys. And uh, thanks for the Zoom tip. It probably would have taken me another 10 hours to find that. 
And by the way, as a guy who I almost never do I sit down and play a strategy game without somewhere in my notes writing in capital letters and underlining multiple times more hotkeys. Uh, I have not done that in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Code Force has done a great job heading off complaints from a hotkey uh, stickler like me. Yep. <laughs> well, that's something. Uh, Rob, can you describe for us uh, what was it like your first time coming into it? I- I'd like to hear from you about – so so you hear from me and try, hey, there's this cool space strategy game. Describe for me Rob Zachney jumping for the first time into Distant Worlds. Um. Well, I mean, my first reaction was I, I felt like I stepped through a time machine. Um, on, honestly, the the look of this game um, it, it it looks it, it looks like an old strategy game um, in a lot of ways. Just um, tabs everywhere, just re, you know, reams of information, um, a lot less streamlined, I think, than I, than I've gotten used to. A lot less simplified than I've gotten used to. Um, so, I mean, right away, it was, it was something that I'm I'm not used to dealing with. Um, and then I started to really dislike you um, because I blame, I was like, it's Tom's fault that I'm playing this, <laughs> um, especially as my confusion deepened and, you know, a couple hours went by and I was still waiting for the fun to arrive. Um, I, I, you know, I was just basically, you know, just spewing venom at the screen like, oh, I'm going to tell off Tom um, <laughs> on the show because, you know, you were the one who brought this into my life. Um, but, you know... Overwhelmed um, is was my first impression, and I guess is still kind of my impression, mm-hmm. um, because really quickly things started happening, and my empire began to expand at such a such a quick rate, and so many new ships were joining the empire, so many new mining colonies were opening up, new planets were joining, that I felt like I barely got come to terms with what I started with. And then it was just an avalanche of information and new game assets. Um, so, I mean, it was like, I don't know, drowning, I guess, is, <laughs> is, is, is the uh, Distant world experience. Yeah, you know, you're allowed to say no when the computer says, hey, do you want to build these 800 new ships? Um, yeah, but, I, yeah, but I, I, I was dealing with pirate problems, too. I, I needed new ships. So. By the way, I just want to compliment you, Rob. You know, I, I called it surfing uh, data. Your drowning uh, <laughs> metaphor works perfectly as well. <laughs> well, especially especially as I, as I began to lose track of things, and I opened up my ship screen. I was like, "Oh, well, let's let's look at what's going on with the fleet." And I open up that tab, and <laughs> there must have been like seventy warships on that list. That's after I sorted it down to just military ships. When it okay. was when it was all the ships in the universe. Um, oh my god! Never look for all yeah. the ships in the universe. Well, actually, you say never look for all the ships in the universe, but that is a very important screen because, yeah. like, like Rob is saying, you can open up, you can click a button or hit a hotkey, uh, F6, I believe, to open up a screen that shows you all your ships and bases. Now, that looks daunting enough, enough but like you said, Rob, you can then hit a, a drop-down list, and you can pick from all sorts of different categories, and one of them is military ships. So you drop that down, and now you've got a list of all your military ships, which still, that can be daunting enough – but each category has, uh, you know, you can sort by all these different headers. So, for instance, if you click on fleet, it then organizes them and you can look to see who is not in a fleet or who is in what fleet. You know, so you can look at your fleets and see how they're composed. I mean, I mean that's a very thing important is, all this data is there. It can it can be daunting. And it's really you really have to sort of want to understand how to, like, drill down into it. 
Uh, and that's not easy at first. Uh, and a lot of that is it's got great help screens, by the way. I love the Galactopedia that they yep. had. Hit F1. There are a lot of screens where there's in, in standout yellow print. Click here if you want to know more about what this is. Um, it's a very for a game that's so overwhelming, it seems to understand that a lot of people are going to be overwhelmed. And a lot of times it wants to do what it can to, to offer you a, a breakdown of what the screen is and what it's telling you. Um, the big problem with this game and as far as having people feel overwhelmed is first the tutorial is terrible. Uh, it's one of these tutorials, just click through the screens and it shows you things. This is what this screen does. This is what this screen does. This is what this screen does. Hate those. Worst tutorials ever. But I can't imagine what a better tutorial could possibly look like. Because well, it's the kind of game that you have to almost see in action and be, be willing to, you know, click on learn more about me. Uh, have little <laughs> clippy pop up and say, so you want to learn about escorts? Here's what escorts do. Well, I, I think the tutorial goes wrong in a couple in a couple places. One, it spends an inordinate amount of time, um, you know, move your cursor to the edge of the screen; it will scroll. Um, no tutorial at this point should ever tell you basic camera commands, um, unless there should, unless there's like some sort of super remedial tutorial. Uh, but that should never waste my time with that. Um, but the other thing is, it, it never shows a lot of these things in practice. It introduces you to a lot of the tabs, but you would have found those anyway. What it doesn't do is show you how the game is going to work when it's running at speed. Um, it doesn't tell you, you know, it doesn't show you this this cargo ship is under attack. Detail and escort. It doesn't give you the kind of um, scenarios you will be running into once you start right. playing it. But now, I'm, I'm when that happens, though, Rob, a, a window pops up and it says very clearly. Uh, this ship is being attacked by this ship in this place. And it's a big window. It takes up maybe, you know, it, it's bigger than, say, the mini-map. Actually, it's about the same size as the no, mini-map. No, it's, it's huge. And if you it's click huge on it, coming in, yeah. Yeah, and if you click on it, it will take you to that location. And if it's something where you have to make a choice or you have to interact with another screen, it will pause the game for you. Uh, so I, the thing is, a lot of stuff happens, but if you want to look at something that's happening... Uh, or if you have to make a choice, the game will wait for you. Like, like I feel it's very good about understanding that there's a lot going on, and it doesn't want it to run past you if it can at all uh, avoid that. Uh, this is another one of those slow burn RTSs, uh, kind of like Sins of a Solar Empire, where you, there's not a rush to get you. You have still have to respond to things in their proper time, but there's no real rush. Yeah, I think uh, the Sins of a Solar Empire, though, that because that's a classic RTS. I mean, I think yeah, Detroit yeah. is much more like like Europa Universalis, mm, okay, as far as the the way that it works in real time, right. uh, and that the real time is never meant to be a, a pacing issue. It's just how the game is calculating right. data. And it's more than happy to let you not only stop at any time, but you can run this at quarter speed or you can go all the way up to four to quadruple speed. Um, so it, it's, it's very generous, yeah. I, I think, in that regard. And you guys are talking about the tutorial, and I agree it's a lot of remedial stuff. It can be tedious. But it seems to me the tutorial for a game like this is to start a small galaxy with only like one other race and just watch it unfold. And right. maybe it's a little unfair to call that a tutorial because the game's not doing that for you. You kind of have to... You have to set that up on your own. But, right. but I can't help but think a lot of people who like us who really like strategy games will play through that, those tutorials, learn the basic stuff, and then say, okay, now I'm going to start a very simple game in a very small galaxy and see how it unfolds. Uh, I think that's the best way to come to Distant Worlds. Because you can – another thing, too, is I love the game setup. 
you know, it's like civilization. It takes you through, I think it's three or four discrete screens where you set the galaxy, you set your empire, you set your enemies, and then you hit go and you're in this randomly generated galaxy and you can make that as daunting or as sort of narrow as you want. Uh, They recommend also how how customizable uh, the universe creation is. Yeah. How you can even how many I haven't played many different types of governments. Not sure how differently they all play. Can you speak more towards that, Tom? Because government type they spend tutorial time on it, so I'm assuming it means something. I think the government type is just a set of global modifiers. Uh, I mean, as far as, and that's another reason that I call it a spectator spreadsheet. Uh, As a republic, you don't get any necessarily cool gameplay mechanics. You just get a penalty to your ship maintenance and like a bonus to everything else. I mean, that's all that republic means. It's not going to change. You're not going to get thrown out of office. As a military dictatorship, you don't get special units. It doesn't have that level of personality that, say, civilization or uh, or Galsiv might have. Um, so a lot of the interaction, like, for instance, the way you interact with a colony is you're not manually building structures on the planet. Uh, you can, if you want, manually build bases. And the ship design, which we should also talk about, yeah. lets you customize a lot of that stuff. But your only interaction with a colony is to set a tax rate. Uh, and that is, is very streamlined. Uh, and you can look at the little happiness rating for the colony. You can and see you can automate that. that. Exactly. And that starts off being automated. You right. don't control that normally. Uh, but if you do want to control colonies across a game that has 400 stars, all you're doing with those colonies is setting their tax rate. Uh, there's, uh, there's a. I, I want to talk a little bit about. I'm sorry, am I cutting anyone off? I feel. I no, 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 no. Uh, charge through. You want to talk a little bit about what? So uh, one of the things that I feel makes this game different from other uh, what you were calling viceroy games, Troy, and specifically something like Supreme Ruler, which just feels really dry and full of details. Yep. I think a couple a couple of things come to mind. First of all, I think the fact that it's science fiction really helps. Yeah, uh, you can abstract a lot of things. You're not having to like move a tank to a new territory. You know, a ship flying to a dot on a plain black screen that says sci-fi. That's fine. It's going to a star. Uh, you know, creating ships just from dumping a mess of components into a hull that works fine with sci-fi games. I think they can do a lot. Uh, with with this game based on the fact that it's sci-fi. And and right there, they get a bit of a pass in terms of willing suspension of disbelief in a way that something like Supreme Ruler or that terrible, what's that uh, that planetary simulation thing that was kind of like Cyber Judas or... Uh, Superpower? Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you, Troy. Uh, you know, those games, I think, have a tougher time of it because right. we're comparing them to real-world stuff that we right. know. Uh, so, but the other thing that I think this game does beautifully... Uh, so, so Rob, my first experience with it was similar to yours. Uh, I, I wanted to knuckle down. Though. I mean, I, I spent, I, I banged my head against it long enough to where eventually here's what happened. And I posted about this on Fidget. I started a random game, and right off in the beginning of my random game, I got a little dialogue box saying, "Hey, you've discovered something called Carabian spice." And you know, I get told that. And my reaction was similar to yours, Rob, when I offered. Carabian spice and coffee. My reaction was, "What is Carabian spice, and why should I care?" The game knew I was going to wonder that because right there on the box was a little yellow uh, option. You know, click here to, to find out what the big deal is with Carabian spice, and it opens the Galactopedia Galactopedia entry. Here's why everyone's it, talking about Carabian spice. Exactly, exactly. Carabian spice gives you a global bonus 
to basically the maximum size of any colony. So if you have Caribbean spice and you're shipping it to each of your colonies, that colony can be that much bigger. And the Galactopedia even says, if you find this, make every effort to grab it before everyone else. So I'm like, cool, that's like spice in Dune. You know, right there, they added this kind of story, this narrative uh, feature to this, what otherwise was just a spreadsheet. Suddenly I had discovered Arrakis, you know, and <laughs> here is my spice. Uh, so immediately after that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to colonize it. I didn't have the resources to colonize that planet yet. I didn't have the habitation module that required to colonize a desert planet. Uh, however, I immediately after discovering Carabian spice discovered a ruin on the planet. Now, the ruins are kind of like the barbarian goody huts and that a lot of times they'll just give you a tech or a little bit of money. But here, sometimes they'll give you these little story beats, again, like discovering Carabian Spice. When I explored the ruins on this planet, it told me that I found all of these stasis capsules and that I'd woken up a long dead civilization of so – they were called Securins. And again, my reaction is, what Securins? What, what is that? Why, why do I care about Securins? And there's a yellow link. Click here to learn what Securins are. Sure enough, Securins are blue space elves. Smurfs. Uh, but but they're, uh, I, I think they're a bit more dignified than Smurfs. They're supposed to be really good at cuisine and at dancing and at music. I mean, they're, they're like the tall, willowy elf types. Like the Avatar people. Exactly. So that's the other story beat that, that an instant after discovering Arrakis, it's not, Arrak- it's not just Arrakis, it's also Pandora from Avatar. And it's got blue space elves and I have to colonize it. Also, in that same system, and this is all within the first five, ten minutes of a game, I discovered the ruins of something called, I think it was called a World Destroyer. <sighs> and it's basically like, a, uh, it's a capital ship, which is kind of like a wonder of the world. And it's surrounded by space slugs. So I have to send in a fleet to kill the space slugs. But once I do that, if I then park construction ships at the World Destroyer, I can complete it. And then I'm going to get a super capital ship that can destroy planets. So that right there, my own Death Star. So this is what happened early on with with me with Distant Worlds is I, I started a random game and suddenly I'm playing Star Wars, Dune and Avatar all in the same video game. And, and none of that was scripted. All of these are these – they're like in Diablo. It builds the world out of tiles. They're like these story tiles uh, that are that can bubble out of a randomly built match of distant worlds. Uh, and I think that right there makes it stand out infinitely better than, than other spreadsheet or, or Viceroy games. So you got a really lucky role there in your world builder. I did, yes. I have not been able to duplicate it. And in that particular game, I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to keep playing. I had the victory location set really low. Uh, actually, they're set at a default where if you control like a third of the population yeah. or a third of the colonies. But I only had something like three uh, races in my game because I didn't want a lot of competition. So I'm just running along playing, and there's some other populous race that I haven't really met yet. So before I really even got started – he met a victory condition for controlling a third of the universe's population, and it ended the game. <laughs> so since then, I uh, have made a point to raise those victory requirements and to extend the timer before they can kick in, uh, which is just another example of how it's really a, a flexible game. So how many of these story elements are there? Do you have any idea? Because I've never had anything that really got me interesting. The ruins are nice, and... Uh, like I say, they're like goody huts, and mostly I've just been getting tech stuff. I haven't gotten a whole lot of really cool, neat things happening. Mostly because I'm the type of guy who will, you know, start a game and say, "Oh, now I've just learned something new." 
I'm going to throw out that game and start a new one knowing what I've learned. Because <laughs> I, was, I was doing something wrong. Oh, well, this is what I should be doing. So go back to the drawing board. So I didn't actually get all that far in a lot of the games. Well, the thing is, they're not, you know, I'm calling them story elements simply because I opened right. up the little Galactopedia and read them. Right. But there, there, there are, it does seem like, some backstory bits that, that have something to do with, like, an ancient hostile race. Like, I'm guessing maybe the game rolls out something like the Antarians and Mutu. I'm not sure. Uh, but there are, there, there will be times where you uncover a full screen chunk of text that tells you a story uh these things like the Caribbean spice that's just one of the resources there's a couple yeah. of those in there uh the securins it's just another alien race you know they're uh in the game there's something like 15 or maybe 20 different races yeah and those like governments are basically just global bonuses you know they they get if you're if you're it's securins, just standard standard forex sci-fi right mix it doesn't that stuff. it doesn't it doesn't fundamentally it doesn't alter the gameplay for for instance uh, so those right there are just two things that were just gameplay details that I happened to read the Galactopedia on. Uh, and then that, uh, that world destroyer, uh, you can find cap, like you can find ships. Uh, for instance, yep. the game that I have open in front of me now, I found a colony ship that belonged to a different race. So I can send that somewhere and I can build a colony. And now I have this other race as part of my empire. Uh, kind of like Mu too. There's a difference between uh, owning a planet and what race is on that planet. It's kind of like cultures in, in Civilization Four. Right. Uh, even though it's your city, it might be a different culture. Um, so it was just a matter of me finding three details that managed to effectively, in my imagination, uh, invoke <laughs> Star Wars, Dune, and, and Avatar. Well, this is clearly a game I want to spend a lot more time with. I mean, it's, it's certainly put together in very interesting ways. The customization is just so vivid. Um, I like most of the UI stuff. Now that I know that zooming trick, I might not get lost so much. But, you know, space is mind-bogglingly big. The idea of even getting a third of some of these maps is just ridiculous. But then again, so many of these stars have nothing in them. So the empires kind of right. look really disjointed, uh, which is great. I mean, that's kind of like what a space empire is supposed to look like, right? You don't, not every star is going to have a colony on it. Some of the colonies are going to be very far away from any ships that can protect them. Uh, so you have to really decide where your fleets are going to be because you can't have, I mean, you can have a huge super fleet, but, you know, there are costs to that and also the headache of managing it, uh, even with the stuff being automated. Uh, it's, a, uh, a friend of mine uh, said, you know, it's a, one of the first 4X games he's played where he feels like the Empire is growing and not just being built. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that it is expanding, and it's expanding in the direction of resources, in the direction of colonies. It's not quite, you know, inheriting India in a fit of absence of mind like Victoria, but it is <laughs> has sort of this idea that, you know, your responsibilities grow, you grab opportunities, and you end up in conflict. Um, and you have the pirates, and you have uh, the dip diplomatic stuff, which I'm still not quite sold on whether the diplomatic system is good, bad, or just uh, bare-boned. Before we talk about diplomacy real quick, Troy, yep. you, you talk about the, the, the empire is growing. One of the things that I really like that they did in Distant Worlds is there's a there's a button at the very top, and I think yep. the hockey is F2, for the expansion planner. Yeah. And it's a highfalutin name. You're kind of like expansion planner. What is that? But it's very simply its own box where it has, I think, three, four categories maybe. Yeah. But one category, you pull it down, and you can look at potential colonies. Yep. And it lists every colonizable planet that you have found. Uh 
and then there's another drop down uh, option in the expansion planner where you can look at all the different resources yep. that you have discovered. There's another one where you can look at all the different resources within your colonial infrastructure. Uh, so that is really handy to open up. Just look at the list of potential colonies. You can click on a colony, and in a mini-map, you can see roughly where it is in the galaxy. And you can click a button to either send an available colony ship, or if you don't have an available colony ship, or even if you do, there's a separate button saying, hey, build a colony ship and send it there. You know, you don't have to, like, look for your shipyard, order a colony ship, and see, whoops, I've got all these destroyers in the queue in front of it. i got to wait. It's... It, it kind of knows how daunting this is going to be, and it gives you things like that expansion planner specifically yep. to do an end run around how complicated and scary this can be. Uh, now, so much automation might sound frightening to a lot of you know control freak strategy gamers out there, but I kind of like seeding the control. Uh, I like, I mean, it's not like Majesty where you know the stupid thief will rebel against you and not do what she's supposed to be doing because she's annoying. Uh, it's where you know. You can trust every now and then to, that things aren't going to fall apart if you decide to just let things go, um, and I like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble coming to terms with it, um, in part because I intervene occasionally um, to just make sure that something that I think is really important that the Empire does get, you know, needs to do, make sure it gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I find a new colonizable planet somewhere, you know, strategically valuable. Um, I want to make sure that that moves to the top of the list and we get that one before we continue just sort of expanding out um, to these other nearby planets. Where, where I get uncomfortable with this system is that it's so automated and the automation is usually very reliable um, that – I haven't really mastered the skill of knowing when or how much I have to intervene or should be intervening. Um, so it's a system that I, ma- I remain really uncomfortable with because there are all these times I'm thinking, you know, should I just be sitting back and letting the computer handle all these things or is there something that I really need to be managing here and I'm just not seeing it because the computer seems to be doing a good job? Um, or if I take control of something, um, you know, when do when can I safely release that back to the computer's uh, care? Uh, th- these are these are aspects of the game that I just I just haven't come to come to terms with. Um, on the one hand, I'm too much of a control freak, and on the other hand, I just don't know the limits to which I can trust the AI. And that's that. By the way, Rob is a is a very valid concern, and is where I stop being a distant worlds apologist and fanboy, and I have some very serious issues with this game, if not downright disgust, because I love the design, but there are times that that automation and this game is asking you to make a leap of faith and play a game that is primarily automated, but there are times that automation lets you down and the game does indeed fall apart. Uh, and it, it, because it's a spectator spreadsheet, you're going to be watching all these things happening. And if they don't work as they should, or if they do something stupid, if you're paying attention, it's going to make you not want to watch the spreadsheet anymore. If it's not working as it's supposed to, now uh, is there anything in particular, Tom, that's really throwing you off? Well, the, the fleet for, for me, the big problem is fleet management. Yeah, the, the basic concept of the game seems to be: look, let everything run its course, 
and you are the the general. You know, you're like the the commander in chief of the military. You're the big fleet admiral. And when a war is going to happen, then you're going to take some of your ships because that's the that's what consider that's what state property is. You know, there's private yeah. property, private industry, which is all the the freighters and the mines and whatnot. And then there's state property, which is all the military installations. So when a war happens, you're going to take all your ships. You're going to put them in fleets. You're going to move those fleets around and have giant fantastic battles. So that's what's supposed to happen. But what it's taken me a long time and a lot of frustration uh, and no small amount of disappointment in this game to figure out is how fleet management does and doesn't work. I think the big problem and something that I hope that they're addressing, whenever a ship is – ships just burn fuel no matter what they're doing – so if you've got a, a fleet of 20 ships, some of them are going to have a lot of fuel, some of them aren't. Uh, and if you refuel them, by the time ship number 20 has refueled, ship number one is almost out of fuel. So you've got, even under automation, you're doing this terrible dance of, of ships with different ranges and different amounts of fuel, and then some of them get damaged. And the way it worked before the most recent beta patch is when a ship was damaged or low on fuel, it would drop it out of the fleet. So you could send a fleet, you know, several star systems over to, to fight a war, and by the time a fleet of 20 ships arrived, you know, it was five ships. Uh, so it, that's if you turn off the fleet automation, you, then you're it's expecting you to manage all of that manually. You know, okay, i got to refuel these ships. And that's a heavy can. logistical man- tr- trick to make sure all that's done right. So you've got a huge exactly. empire to manage and trying to handle all the logistics of, you know, fleet refueling. I mean, that's something you would expect. They're going to have... Uh, fuel management in a game, you got to, and you expect players to do it. It's got to be manageable. You expect the IA to do right. it. It's got to be able to do it right. And it was also another big part of it is you, you know there's there's a part of naval uh, part of uh, space like sci-fi warfare. It's a lot like naval warfare. So you would set up these these bases. You set up resupply ships and and nebulas uh, and whatnot. And you want your fleet to go there and refuel to get somewhere. You, you know, to a more distant point to fight. And when it arrives at the refueling, like refueling ships early on were burning their own fuel. So they would run out of fuel and then leave to go back to the main starport to fuel up while your fleet was was trying to catch up with them to refuel themselves. Right. Uh, so if it's doing that when I'm controlling it, then what that makes me wonder, and the answer, by the way, is yes, is, is it doing that when the AI is controlling it? Uh, and it is. So... I think that once this this is a it's it's a great fun game when you're expanding your empire and looking at all this stuff happen. But but once uh, fleets start banging heads and you start seeing battles, it just it seems to fall apart. Uh, and I think they've addressed a little bit of that in the 1.03 beta patch uh, that was released on. So, so today is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was released today, and I think it'll be a final release later this week. So by the time you're listening to this podcast. Hang in there for this 1.03 patch, because uh, I, I, it looks like, based on my pl- preliminary uh, look at it, it looks like that addresses some of the serious problems with fleet management. Good. Um, but that does make me wonder. I mean, I'm just surprised that it made it out that way. So what else is broken? You know, it makes me wonder, are the freighters that are moving around the luxury goods, uh, are they working uh, as they should? You know, is my colony not growing because I don't have enough luxury goods in my empire? Or is it not growing because the freighter AI isn't getting the goods where they need to go? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that. And uh, I frankly, I'm not sure I, I trust the game at this point. Oh, I, I don't. Um, 
I mean, the I, I had issues with resupply as well, but for me it was it, it was kind of even more drastic and infuriating. Is that I started getting messages uh, that my my fleets were running out of fuel, that I had ships that were basically <laughs> empty. Um, so I was like, okay, uh, well let's see what resupply ships we have in the navy. And I open up the ship tab, and we don't have any. Um, the AI has been telling me that you know. You know the experts have analyzed. You know, you know the message you get. The experts have analyzed uh, our defenses, and these are the ships we need to build. And I was like, okay, sounds like a good idea. And apparently, at no point did the the experts figure out that we needed to fuel these things. Um, so my my navy was running, you know, on empty, and I had to force build a resupply fleet. Um, and that was just. You know, that's the kind of micromanagerial detail that I, you know, seemed like something that, you know, should have been beneath my notice, um, unless I was planning some sort of really complicated operation. But right there, um, near the home system, we had ships just running out of fuel because the AI had right. forgotten about it. Hmm. Um, another thing that I found really inconsistent is. Real quick, hold that thought, Rob. I want to hear what the other thing is that you found inconsistent. Yeah. But answering specifically your thing about resupply ships, here's another example, I think, of where the game kind of falls apart and it could have done a better job uh, explaining w what's going on and how things work. Resupply ships, I don't think, are fleets that move around. You basically park them in one spot and your fleets are supposed to fly there and resupply. They're not like the uh, Oilers or whatever in World War II, where it would travel with the fleet. Uh, but that's not that's not immediately apparent. <laughs> so uh, so I, uh, that's something that I feel, you know, I don't think they explain that anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and and also what it'll do is you can. Uh, when it's expanding to colonies, when it when you found a colony, it'll eventually recommend that you build different bases in the colony. And bases are where you refuel your ships. So ideally, as your infrastructure is spreading out, the AI should be recommending more bases where your ships can refuel. But if you want to push your fleets farther than your developed infrastructure, you've got to manually set up refueling bases and send forward resupply ships out. Uh, but that's not that's not that easy to figure out. So I completely understand your frustration. Uh, so what was what was the other inconsistency? That you oh well, I mean the the other thing was um, freighter escorts. Um, just curious things like sometimes I would see a freighter get attacked by a pirate, and the escort was right there, Johnny on the spot. Um, and I was like, that's really cool. You know, I didn't have to do anything, and they intercepted these pirates and blast them out of the sky. That's great. But I couldn't really discern much rhyme or reason between you know regarding who was getting escorted and who wasn't. Some trade lanes seemed completely unguarded. Um, others seemed really well policed. And I'm not sure, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell that maybe the most important ones were being well guarded. And there were other times when idle ships just didn't seem to be responding to uh, threats. Um, and yeah. I basically have to take control yeah. and be like, okay, so, you know, you're going you're to take care of that at some point? No? Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> um, and that's, that's once again, if, we're, if this is going to be the, the you know, I, I like that term, the virtual viceroy game. Um, he's got he's got to be good. He's got to be consistent at these basic managerial tasks. And when that starts breaking down, y you lose the the the, uh, the trust that's supposed to sort of hold the entire experience up. That's the that's the floor underneath your feet. And if you lose that trust, it drops. Right. Right. 
in general, I'm still have very positive feelings about the game, though, despite these issues. I mean, it's clearly the AI has got to be fixed. I'm glad they're addressing some of this in the beta patch. I hope to play more of it when I have uh, more time. I'm still not quite soured on it like you are, Tom. Uh, well, the, the thing is, Troy, I'm soured on it because I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, I, I, I understand that, and I appreciate that. I mean, you because you've been an advocate for this game, and you've given it space on your blog, and, you know, it's... Because you can write whatever the hell you want on your blog, <laughs> uh, which is great. And I hope that uh, they can address this. Cause it is an ambitious game. Um, they do need to fix some stuff in it. Um, I'm glad there are so many damn hotkeys because I'm going to give them written down somewhere because I've got to write down all these hotkeys. Cause they're just uh, I think there's a you can hit F1 and I think there's an entry in the Galactopedia for hotkeys. And I just, I, I'm conditioned to jump to that early on in a game yes, you and, are. and then write them down. So, uh, yeah. Great. Um, you want to wrap this up because we have things we have to do. Uh, before we go, I want to uh, remind listeners that I have two copies of the original Making History, and all you have to do is answer a three moves ahead history question. There have been very few uh, entries so far, so you have a very good chance of winning. Once again, the question is in episode 22 when we talked about sports games with Bill Abner, Bruce and I talked about a baseball simulation game from our youth that I was surprised that anybody had ever heard of. Uh, if you can find the name of that game and email it to me, your name will enter the draw. Uh, next week's topic, I don't think we have one quite hammered out, uh, nor do we know quite exactly who's going to be on the show. Uh, we have a lot of topics that are flowing around, and if you do have topics, uh, please um, send us your suggestions. We're getting lots of ideas from listeners and colleagues, things they would like us to talk about. Uh, apparently developers like it when we talk about particular games in detail. Other people like it when we talk about a whole bunch of games uh, around a theme. So there's a lot of division out there, and it seems to break down based on whether you're a developer or not, which I think is cool. Uh, any final words, guys? Is uh, is We Rule a viable topic? No. Oh, God, gosh. no. Yes, if you want to be Tom's We Rule friend... <laughs> Also, send Troy, him a our, request at our um our employees of Three Moves Ahead and their families eligible to to enter the contest? Because uh, I think I might know the answer to the trivia question. I'm just wondering if I can enter. <laughs> you don't want making history, and no, you can't enter. <laughs> you know what? You're right. If that's the prize, until you offer another prize, like yeah, forget it. I don't even want to enter. <laughs> yeah, it's not great, but hey. It's it's new, and the sequel's coming out uh, in a couple months, and it's uh, looking to be a, quite an interesting game. Uh, like I said, next week, our topic's not decided. If you are at the Three Moves Ahead meetup in Boston, there's a picture now uh, both on my Facebook page and on the front page of Flash of Steel. If you want me to tag you in the Facebook page, let give me your name, and then people who are my friends can see who you are. You can even be my Facebook friend if you want so you can see the picture. Right now it's set to friends only, not friends of friends, because uh, I don't like all the friends of my friends. By the way, can I just tell people listening that if you are Troy Goodfellow's Facebook friend, you will not be inundated with social gaming requests. Just, just to set everyone's mind at ease. Troy's not one of those guys that you add him and suddenly you're getting free llamas from Mafia Wars or whatnot. No, no, I'm not. Uh, I did play Mafia Wars, but I kind of got tired. How'd that work out for you? I, I think I got shot. I don't know. Okay. No, I just, I got bored pretty quickly. 
Uh, I do have to play Farmville, though, because it seems like it's too big to ignore. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's kind of <laughs> sad. It's kind of sad. I think I have to. Uh, Rob, Tom, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. See you all next week. Good night, everyone.